Hey, welcome to the Cubs Weekly Podcast, the Juneteenth edition presented by Trust. And on this go-round of the pod, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to revisit Friday's episode of Cubs 360. You see it Monday through Friday on Marquee Sports Network. And that's where we had Hall of Famer Andre Dawson join the show. He was paired up with Sean Dunstan, Doug Glanville, and Bruce Levine. And during our 30-minute ride, we touched on a variety of topics as they relate to race and diversity in Major League Baseball. And we got the ball rolling by addressing the dwindling numbers of African-American ballplayers in 2020. John, you played 18 years in the bigs from 85 through 2002. And what was your experience like in Major League Baseball as it spanned three decades? Well, it was very nice. I enjoyed myself. I played with a lot of African-American um, players. I played against a whole bunch of them. And um, man, baseball was just fun. Now it's kind of hard to see, you know, watch all the players. There's not many, maybe five or six players all in baseball. You're not even sure about that. But when I played, I had the veterans. I had Lee Smith, Andre Dawson. I had other players on other teams helping me, African-Americans, like Gary Templeton, who I really loved and liked as a player as a shortstop. And it was just nice to see a familiar face because they know what you go through in baseball. But now it's kind of hard to see it, but hopefully baseball will come back with it. But um, it's definitely man, kind of hard to see right now. Yeah, I mean, Sean was a mentor. You know, Sean, I came up in 1996, but even before that, I was on the roster. I saw the culture and the way that major league players who had this experience being black in America shared uh, the knowledge. They passed it down and helped us understand the, the pitfalls and the challenges of navigating major league baseball. And because the game tends to have this of passing information down and traditions, uh, it was very important as a, a black player to know that there was support and you weren't alone uh, in fit confronting a lot of these issues that may have happened off the field that you may have internalized because you weren't sure where you could take it. Uh, so there's no question that that's an important way to have the support and strength you need to go through that experience. You know, uh, I think baseball has given up on the African-American athlete. And, and that's the sad part is uh, they replace them not with white American players, but with Latin American players. So you see uh, the pr proliferation of more Latin players in the game now than ever. It's almost 35%. And then you add the 7% of African American players. And it shows you that the rise of, uh, of major league players who are uh, Caucasian or white, uh, it's, it's really not prevalent. You hear scouts telling me all the time, that they would love to have more African-American players to go scout, that they're just not playing the game as much. And so the concentration by the clubs have been on Latin America and getting those athletes through. But there's no doubt when African-American players play and they play from the time they're a teenager on, you have major league quality athletes who are turning their attention to this sport. Sean, why do you think we've seen a decline when it comes to African-Americans in major league baseball? Because when you take a look throughout history. Some of the best to ever do it, they're African-Americans. You have your Willie Mays, there's their Barry Bonds. I mean, you go back all the way to Satchel Paige on the mound. We don't see that anymore. No, we don't. It's kind of hard. I mean, yes, they go into the Latin players. The Latin players are good, but African-American players are very good too. Last time I checked, a lot of the record books is held by African-Americans. I don't know what their problem is. I don't know why. They just need to go into these neighborhoods like they did with me in Brooklyn. There's talent all over the place. And I think they need to go do that. And with African-American play, you know, like we speak our mind and I don't think America likes that. And we speak our mind only on topics if we know we write about certain things because when I came up and played with the Cubs, 
They always try to change me. They always try to change me. I said, I don't want to do that. Why can't I do it my way? Let me do it my way. And the good coaches go, okay, let's do it your way. And if your way don't work, let's do it my way. And I say, fine, but usually they always want to change you. So maybe that's why maybe they don't want to go because we will voice our opinion. But the right thing is to do is just let us play and just let us play like everybody else. And, and baseball has historically lacked cultural competency. I mean, it's just, a, you know, we debate all the time about, well, you know, bat flips and, you know, the, this is the right way to do it. But that right way often has a historical complex when people were not even allowed in the game. You know, you think about Negro Leagues. Uh, so just to be able to innovate and start to how uh, the cultural celebration we should have in baseball where everyone has a stage and a place to sort of influence how the game is celebrated and, and expressed. And then you have to you go back to leadership. You have to look at owners. You have to look at GMs. You have to look at that level where the reputation is almost invisible. And, and that is a challenge because there's so much that can be done to really create an environment where players feel supported and really paid attention to and, and addressing some of the issues they face just in their unique cultural circumstance in this country. You know, uh, Doug touched on it, and I think uh, Sean knows this too. Maybe uh, teams and scouts did get lazy when it came to going to the inner city. Maybe they were afraid. Uh, the old-time scouts were not. They knew the best players, the best athletes were in those fields and those places where they were playing on playgrounds, maybe not with the best equipment, maybe not with uh, the best coaching, but certainly the best athletes available. And uh, Major League Baseball might've gotten lazy there. Now, Sean, outside of yourself and Ernie Banks and Ed Howard, the man who was drafted 16th overall by the Chicago Cubs, shortstop, not traditionally a position that African-Americans play. They're usually in the outfield. And we haven't seen an every African-American starting catcher since Charles Johnson, and that was 15 years ago. Why do you think that is? I don't know. It's tough. I mean, when I came up, they always wanted to move me to center field, and I'm like, I'm not moving to center field. They wanted me to go to center because I had all the range where I always wanted to catch every pop-up, and, and I had good range up the middle and in the home. But I had problems with the routine ground ball, but that's what the minor leagues is for. That's what coaching's for. But everybody don't have patience. And I had a black infield coach named Tony Franklin, in the Cubs mining system, he said, son, don't move off shortstop. You can play it. Play it. Just work hard. You will make the routine ground ball. You will make that play. And when you make the routine and you can go up the middle and in the hole and you can hit, you'll be a fine shortstop. But, you know, it's nice to see people that look like you and they understand what you're going through. Yeah. And I, I would just pose a question. Who in the world wants to catch? I mean, that, that's, that is a crazy <laughs> position, right? Uh, so I'll start yeah. there. But... Um, uh, and of course, when you don't have a trust in the system that it's going to be equitable and fair, you will look at the sense of, well, do you not believe uh, that these candidates of colors could be in these leadership positions, catchers, pitchers? And so we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of chatter now that you know change is coming, and uh, but it's not going to take a lot more than, than statements in, on Twitter. It's going to take real action, and it's going to take a deep dive into history, and it's not going to be pretty, but it's going to be worth it. All right. We took a quick break. And once we returned, Hall of Famer Andre Dawson, he joined me on the show. And he gave us an inside look on what it was like for him as a black ball player. He also reflected fondly on his time as a Chicago Cub. Andre put a charge into one his first time up. There's a drive. Deep left. Forget this one. Goodbye. Home run for Andre Dawson. 
On a 1-0 pitch, Andre Dawson has just belted a two-run home run, and the Cubs lead 3-0. Well, that was one of 174 home runs that the Hawk, Andre Dawson, hit in his six years with the Chicago Cubs. And it is now my pleasure to welcome in the Hall of Famer and the man himself, Andre Dawson, the Hawk. Andre, how you doing? Thanks for joining us on Cubs 360. Real well. Fine. Thank you. Glad to have you on the show. Now, all day long, we've been talking about diversity in Major League Baseball. After all, it is Juneteenth. And back in 1987, when you won the National League MVP, Major League Baseball was at least a third African-American, and now it's down to under 10%. So why have we seen that decline? Well, I think the main reason is because it's pretty much a dying commodity uh, in the urban areas. And I attribute most of that to the fields of being lost. Uh, there's been a lack of participation when it comes to coaching itself. And the kids are reverting to other sports. Uh, basketball, football seems to be the sport of choice. That's where most of the parents, the adult parents, fathers, that is, are uh, placing most of their aim and focus on. And baseball just uh, somehow seemed to get, get caught up in the mix of all of that. Uh, I do feel that uh, the trend is, is sort of reversing itself now with uh, Major League Baseball and all the different programs that they have going on around the country there seems to be uh, an interest starting to return. And I do feel that uh, the trend itself will, will reverse itself. All right. Well, you said that other sports may be grabbing the youth's attention. Now, you played football in South Florida as a high schooler, but you suffered a knee injury. So is that part of the reason why you gravitated more towards baseball? I always uh, loved baseball, first and foremost. Uh, football was something that I would entertain to pass the time and primarily because my friends played the game. But, uh, yeah, I got hurt and uh, really put a damper on me uh, as far as my athletic interest was concerned because most of the scouts who uh, I was aware of started to disappear. There were no scholarship offers and I only had the mindset of just going to college and pursuing my education. I, uh, even though that was that was for me um, um, the key component of uh, where I would want to go with my future, I did go out for the baseball team, made the baseball team as a walk-on. I was given a scholarship, and uh, the rest is pretty much history. But no, baseball always was my number one choice. Yeah, I don't want to say I'm glad you suffered that football injury, but if you didn't, we may never have seen you on the baseball diamond. So that ultimately is a pretty good thing. Uh, Andre, as a black ball player in the 70s and 80s, I know that there were challenges after challenges. So which ones did you face? The toughest uh, challenge for me came in Montreal. Uh, a teammate of uh, mine, we were out shopping for a stroller for his newborn. And uh, we were confronted from behind in a department store, Eaton's, in downtown Montreal. Uh, we were confronted from behind and had guns put to our head. And the only thing uh, that would follow was push the bags away from you uh, and don't move. Uh, keep your hands on the counter. And usually under normal circumstances, that it might be a teammate 
crank, but uh, the voices had sort of a broken English, and you sort of sensed that at that moment that, well, it was police, but it was French Canadian uh, uh, French Canadians that spoke English itself. Uh, so the the policemen. Well, how do I want to describe it? They walked around and once they saw uh, who we were, they realized the mistake that they had made. And I could hear one guy other to the other. Uh, they're exposed players. And it was myself and Jerry White. And uh, I can only remember I had a real, real drab, uh, chilling sensation uh, that came across me because uh, I didn't know what was going on, and it was uh, later the, determined that, uh, well, uh, mentioned to us that we had fit the description of two robbery suspects. Andre, that 1989 team, there were eight African-American ballplayers on the squad yourself, Sean Dunstan, just to name a few. And as we take a look at the makeup of Major League Baseball right now, as we said, under 10 percent. And when you take a look at all the records, all time, I mean, home runs, runs scored, stolen bases, all held by African-American ballplayers. So how do we get that interest back? How do we get young African-American ballplayers back into the game? Well, we got to continue to push with the marketing uh, of the game itself. And we just got to get uh, baseball on a continuous basis back in the inner city. Uh, one thing you got to keep in mind uh, is that these kids are so gifted athletically uh, when you see them out on the the, uh, the the football field itself. And you know that there's an interest there, but somewhere along the lines, the game, the sport itself got to be very, very expensive. And uh, it's, it's expensive today to go out and play the sport, but we just got to, again, continue to market the game, push the game in the inner city and get these kids back to playing baseball because as gifted as they are athletically, you know that there's a lot of ability if they went out and played the game of baseball itself. All right, we were halfway home on Cubs 360 during Friday's show when we looked to our panel for ways to create that much-needed additional diversity in Major League Baseball. And as usual, our panelists, well, they hit the nail on the head. We've been told that our peaceful pleas were not made at the right time, at the right place, in the right way. We've been told to wait. But we remember when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. warned us that the word wait has almost always meant never. We will wait no longer. We'll make our voices louder. For all of us who can. And for all of those who could not. Eight minutes and 46 seconds is enough time to lift a knee. To do what is right. To say something. To acknowledge the pain of the black community. You have cheered for us, but we need you to cheer with us now. When we need you most. Black, black lives matter. matter. Black, black lives matter. matter. Black lives matter. It's our cheer for change. It's your cheer for us. It's these cheers that will unite us. One team. One dream. Be the change. Hey, back here on Cubs 360, Cole Wright, along with Bruce, Doug, and Sean. And we just saw Jason Hayward, John Carlos Stanton, CC Sabathia, and Andrew McCutcheon supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, they spoke about being the change. What is a solution when it comes to seeing more African-Americans in baseball and just diversity overall? 
Well, they need to see more of the former players who played in the big leagues, like myself and everybody else who played, and Andre Dawson, Doug Glanville, Eric Davis. We all around the game still. We all love the game. We love baseball. We don't like baseball. We eat, sleep baseball, love baseball. They need to have us around and show these kids that, hey, you can make it. You can play this game. And and the travel ball is good, but you need more travel ball coaches that are black, and, and you're not paying all this money. Yeah, I mean, it starts with leadership. I mean, that that's, a, you know, because the leadership – connects to power and power connects to opportunity. And, and you also can't frame it as a gift because then you start this idea, well, I'm doing you a favor. There's qualified candidates, people who love the game that are out there of all walks of life and you have to unearth it. But baseball has to also get out of its own way. And there's some programs, Tyrone Brooks out of MLB, uh, many efforts, Billy Bean out of the sort of diversity offices of MLB. So they're working on some things. But they need to do a deep dive into really the cultural, to get a better cultural understanding of the game. I mean, Theo Epstein's been talking about uh, things he'd like to do to look internally. Well, here's a suggestion. You have a whole analytics department. Baseball is rife with analytics. They can dive. They can tell you you should steal third when it's snowing on a Thursday in Antarctica when Santa Claus is late. I mean, they can tell you everything. So why don't you turn that? and get a sense of understanding your hiring practices, what your challenges are in diversity. Um, do a deep dive of your own you know, operation throughout the game even, and get an understanding of why there's a feeling of not being welcome. Uh, but I, I think you have to make it more appealing than it is right now, because you know, going through the minor leagues, you, you run into middle management, you might disappear, you might have bias here, you're on the road. It's a lot of baseball for things to go off the rails and people to exercise their bias and, and destroy your opportunity. So a deep dive will be necessary. And then hopefully by then you get diversity at leadership levels with, where it's representative and, and you see much more fairness and equity throughout baseball. So the answer is uh, more color uh, in the upper levels of Major League Baseball. And that means minority ownership as well, okay? We need to see more people of color in those areas as well. We need to see scouts, as Sean, Sean pointed out, as Doug pointed out. We need to see people in power positions that can actually make that change. Theo Epstein probably will do that if he continues to be the president of the Cubs going forward. He admitted that too many faces that he walks around with uh, it, during a day, business day look too much like his. That's a great start. Now we have to start moving forward and acting on that rather than just giving a lip service because lip service is not getting it done. All right. Finally, with Sunday being Father's Day, we wrapped up the show by asking our guys what their dads meant to them when it came to their development. And you might want to break out the Kleenex for this segment. My dad, he's followed my career very well. I just remember what he, what he says to me. You know, play your hardest, play with your, play with your heart. Father's Day will definitely be a little different for me this year. Really, really um, makes me thankful for you know what my dad has done for me. Father's Day also to me is very special. I want to show how much I love them, uh, but they know every day is for them. Yeah, I mean, one of the best part of my life, you know, being being a dad. And, and teaching my, my son everything I do. Hey, back here in Cubs 360 with the gang. It's Bruce, it's Doug, it's Sean, and we just heard from Jeremy Jeffress, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and Javi Baez on the impact that their fathers had on their careers. And as we shut things down here on Cubs 360, time to 
check in with you guys. And when it comes to a, a father or a father figure or yourself as a father playing a role in someone else's development, John, how did it start with you? Uh, I'm very emotional with my dad. I lost my dad about um, seven years ago, so this hurts. But my dad is the reason why I'm here. He taught me everything, how to be a man, how to be myself. Don't back down from nobody and just give it your all. My dad, by making sure my dad was a barber and my dad was a cab driver. And I made it through my dad with hard work. So it's funny how now I tip barbers really big and I tip um, cab drivers. I made it because of my father. My father's everything. Now I know why, I mean, how it is to be a father. Because I have four beautiful kids and a beautiful wife. And I know I'm hard on my kids is because I want them to do well. I'm sorry I'm crying, but I lost my dad and I'm very tight with him and I love him every day. And I'm very successful because of my father. No other man is my idol. My idol is my dad. I just want to let the world know I am successful because of my father. Happy Father's Day, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and Sean filled a role in that mentorship when I played and, they, and he clearly passed that down. Uh, I would, my father was from Trinidad and Tobago and came to the United States in 1956. And, uh, you know, he played cricket uh, when he was in his country, but baseball started to, to cross over. And when my brother, my brother was born, in 1962 and he sort of took me under my wing when i came along seven and a half years later to pass on that legacy and that torch to kind of share that experience around baseball and it became sort of a family game and and all the stories uh, i think of my dad working all week long and he was a psychiatrist and then on weekends that was our time he'd go to little league games and if things went well i got a couple of dollars for a home run and we'd end up at mcdonald's and that was sort of how we celebrate so uh, and the best tribute I ever had to be able to give to my dad uh, outside of just writing in his name was I got my 1,000th hit of my career uh, the day he passed away when we were playing against the Marlins in 2002. So I was able to bury him with that ball as a tribute to uh, everything that he's done in my life. So uh, the greatest man I've ever met, the first man I've ever met, and uh, I want to wish everybody a happy Father's Day out there. Those are two beautiful sentiments. I will say that uh, the, the mentor in my life uh, was my mother. My father passed away when I was six years old. And uh, my mother took that role of being both father and mother. And uh, she took it to a different level, taking me to baseball games at Comiskey Park, baseball games at Wrigley Field, boxing matches at Marigold Gardens, wrestling matches uh, there as well. Uh, it, it was a beautiful way that she uh, led the way for me to uh, play Little League Baseball, always be there for me. Uh, so it comes in a lot of different forms. I lost my father young, but I was fortunate enough to have a great mother who filled both roles. So happy Father's Day to everybody out there, and uh, thanks for this opportunity to do this. Absolutely. Great stories from all three of you guys. My father, he got me my first baseball glove. He brought it home in one of those big brown grocery bags. It was a mag glove and it was on, you know, obviously for my, my left hand. And it, I threw it back with the glove and he told me to throw it with this hand. And I said, now, Dad, you should have went and got a glove for the other hand to develop the left hander. But either way, like you guys said, my dad is the best man I've ever known. And, uh, and Sean, no, no, no need to feel embarrassed that your eyes were sweating because you got my eyes a little sweaty. <laughs> over here as well well an emotional one on cubs 360 and that's going to do it here for this edition of the cubs weekly podcast presented by wind trust and remember go and download and subscribe on apple Podcasts and spotify today until next time i'm cole wright we'll see you soon